So we're going to do our declaration of faith. Say, this is my Bible. I am what it says I am. I can do what it says I can do. I am a believer and not a doubter, a doer and not just a hearer. And my life is the better after hearing, obeying, and applying a word from the Lord. All right, so I'm going to jump right in to my title, right? And as I was was thinking about this message, the Lord kept telling me, Aisha is bigger than you. And Sister Connie, Minister Connie Obillo's, her ministry fits so well this morning with starting off with joy and then also talking about the assignment that God has for us in this next season. And so I want to go into the story of one of my favorite people. It's my second favorite chapter in the Bible. My first favorite is John chapter 15, okay? Second favorite is Joshua chapter number one. I think that there are so many people who partnered with God in the Bible, but he is absolutely one of my favorites. So I'm going to read the scripture, and then I'm going to walk you through my thought process in Joshua. So we're starting out in Joshua chapter 1, verse 1. And we're reading all the way to verse 9 for those of you who take notes. So I just want to put that out there. And it says, Now after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, it came to pass that the Lord spake unto Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' minister, saying, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now therefore arise, go over this Jordan, thou and all this people, unto the land which I do give to them even to the children of Israel. Every place that the sole of your foot shall tread upon, that have I given to you, as I said unto Moses. From the wilderness and this Lebanon, even unto the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites and unto the great sea toward the going down of the sun shall be your coast. There shall not any man be able to stand before thee all the days of thy life. As I was with Moses, so will I be with thee. I will not fail thee, nor forsake thee. Be strong and of a good courage, for unto this people shalt thou divide for an inheritance the land which I swore unto their fathers to give them. Only be thou strong and very courageous, that thou mayest observe to do according to all the law which Moses my servant commanded thee. Turn not from it to the right hand or to the left, that thou mayest prosper whithersoever thou goest. This book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night, that thou mayest observe to do according to all that's written therein. For then thou shalt make thy way prosperous, and then thou shalt have good success. Have not I commanded thee, be strong and of a good courage. Be not afraid, neither be thou dismayed, for the Lord thy God is with thee whithersoever thou goest. So I'm reading the story of Joshua, right? And I'm going to walk you through my process. And in Joshua, the first thing that you see in the book of Joshua is God speaking to him. 
But let me tell you why that tripped me out. Because from the book of Exodus to the book of Deuteronomy, God has never spoken to Joshua before a day in his life. Back then, God had a very strict order of people. And basically, the only person he spoke to at that time was Moses. So this is Joshua's very first time hearing the voice of the Lord. And the first thing that God says to him is, Moses is dead. I'm like, what? (laughs) Excuse me? Because it wasn't uncommon for Moses to go up into the mountain. I mean, Moses would stay up there for 40 days and 40 nights, right? So I'm, I'm in Joshua's shoes, and I'm like, okay, Moses just going on another one of his little sabbaticals. He's going to be back in a minute. But he not. So the very first time that I hear the voice of the Lord, he is now telling me, that this man that I followed my entire life, this man who's, who I put my life in his hands, is dead. Okay, that's number one. Okay? Because <laughs> I, if I was Joshua, I'd be tripping. <laughs> what do you mean? Let me go find him. I can bring him back to life. If you're talking to me, I can. Okay? The second thing that I noticed in the scriptures, if you really go back and study it, God does tell Moses that he's going to be with him. I mean, Joshua. He tells Joshua that he's going to be with him just like he was with Moses. And he tells him that I'm going to deliver the land into your hands. I'm going to be with you in every single battle, every single struggle, whatever the case is. But not once did God tell Joshua that he was actually giving him the land. Because the assignment was bigger than him. He was telling him, this land that I swore to them, I need you to lead them to it. And so as I'm studying the book of Joshua, right, I got to go back. You got to go back and do some, some earlier digging to really, really understand it. But I can't imagine what's going through Joshua's mind at that time. Because if you know anything about Joshua, Joshua probably shouldn't have taken over after Moses. It wasn't normal for somebody completely different to take over, right? This is at the point when Moses' son probably should have been the next one in line. Or, let's just throw that out there, one of the Levites, one of the Levitical priesthood, probably should have taken over. Joshua wasn't any of those things. Joshua was a fighter. So he like, pull your sword out, you know. I'm sure he had a little little cutthroat in him. Say something to me wrong, and it's going to be the business. You're going to get these hands. So Joshua was a fighter his entire life. That's the only time you see Joshua really mentioned in Scripture, except once. So as I'm going through this pre-work, looking at the story of of Moses, his leader, I see Joshua mentioned in Scripture one time in the book of Exodus in chapter 33. 
And this is the moment in time where it says that Moses met with God face to face. And it says Moses came out the tabernacle. And if you know anything about the tabernacle, nobody really went in except the person that God wanted to talk to. But the scripture was very specific in saying Moses came out, went into the camp to tell the people what God told him. But Joshua stayed in the tabernacle. That's the only other time you really see him mentioned in scripture. This person who's a fighter, he's not a priest. He normally shouldn't even be in a tabernacle, in a building. And that so encourages me because it tells me that God doesn't always do things in ordinary way. But he uses those who, number one, have a heart for his people, and that's what Joshua gained while he was fighting. He was fighting on behalf of the people that he would one day lead. Number two, he was looking for someone willing to stay in his presence. Right? So, when I'm looking at this first chapter in Joshua, there are multiple times where he's telling him to be strong and courageous. Be strong and courageous. And I've studied that before. And there are so many things that come to mind when he's telling him to be strong and to be courageous. But to really understand why he said it, you have to understand all the things that his leader went through, right? So let's go over Moses. Because there's only two things that I want to talk to you today about, and I already mentioned them. But there's one thing, complaining, that causes you to actually go against God. And there's another thing, joy, that allows you to partner with God. And not in the way that you probably think, so I'm going to break it down for you, right? So we're looking at Moses. Moses is a young man put in the river, adopted at birth by the Pharaoh's daughter. The Lord was preparing him. And hiding him away at the same time. So Moses ends up killing an Egyptian. Runs away. Get married, meet his wife, do all this stuff. And he think, I'm cool. Don't nobody even remember what I did. I know I got a past, but don't nobody really remember it. So I'm, I'm straight at this point. And so Moses has the burning bush encounter. And the Lord starts talking to him. And the very first thing that Moses did was he negated his own value. Which is going to come up later because he starts comparing himself to other people. To his brother. He's like, Lord, I don't even talk that good. I got, I got a, a speech impediment. And that's important because later on, I believe it's one of the factors that led to Moses when he started complaining because comparison is the thief of joy. Okay. So Exodus chapter 16 is one of the first times we see in Scripture where Moses 
is getting a little overburdened. He starts to get mad at the people. And the Bible actually says he got very wroth against them. Exodus 17 is where we see that Moses is doing what God told him to do. So this is the first time he takes the staff, he strikes the rock, water comes out of it. This ain't the time he was being disobedient. This is the time where he was actually being obedient and doing what God told him to do. But if you listen carefully, if you read very closely, you'll discover it's the very first time that Moses named a place after the people instead of after what God had done. Every other time in Scripture when God did something miraculous, he would name that place. He would, he would build an altar, and he'd say, God did this, and that's the name of the place. This time, instead of saying, God made water come out of a rock, he said, this is the place where the people complained. So in Exodus, skip down, 32, Moses actually started defending the people against God because this was where God was ready to kill everybody, okay? I don't know if y'all knew that. God was like, Moses, you know what? Don't worry about it. I'm straight on them. I'm finna kill everybody, and we're just going to start over with you. And Moses, because he is God's friend, actually rebuked the Lord and told him, turn away from your wrath. Do you want the Egyptians to say that you're not all powerful? And God said, you know what? You're right. I'm going to repent of my wrath. We're going to figure it out. But Moses went back down, killed 3,000 men because he was mad. Now, you ain't going to make my Lord mad and not make me mad a little bit. Comes down, kills 3,000 men for having worshipped this golden calf statue that they made. And then he put himself in a position where he goes back to God, and now he's the one complaining. And he's like, God, I know they jacked up. I know they just killed, I, I just killed 3,000 of them mugs. But if you don't forgive them, you might as well kill me right now. I'm like, Mo, I think you took it a little too far now. I don't know if I'm going to tell the Lord to kill me because of what they did. And Moses takes those complaints, and instead of saying, Lord, I'm so disappointed about what they did, he took it to the extreme. And he like, God, you might as well kill me. I don't, I don't relate to Moses in that aspect, I, not even a little bit. Okay. So God's like, Mo, chill out, all right? I'm not going to kill you. I'm, I'm not going to take my wrath out on you. I'm going to just take it out on the ones that did the sinning. Don't they make sense back, back then? Yeah. So in Numbers chapter 11, verse 1, we finally see that the Lord does something about the people, and I'm going to read that now. And when the people complained, it displeased the Lord, and the Lord heard it, and his anger was kindled, and the fire of the Lord burnt among them and consumed them that were in the uttermost parts of the camp. So at this point, Joshua has already killed all the people that worshiped the golden calf. And God said, I'm going to take it a step further, and I'm going to kill all the people that were complaining. Okay? Jump down to verse 11 in that same chapter, and it says, And Moses said unto the Lord, 
Wherefore hast thou afflicted thy servant? And wherefore have I not found favor in thy sight, that thou layest the burden of all this people upon me? So basically, he regret even being called in the first place. He like, I didn't, I didn't birth these people. I didn't conceive them. That you going to tell me to carry them in my bosom and act like I'm their dad. Unto this land, which you swore unto their fathers. Verse 13 says, they asking me for meat to eat. They crying to me saying, give us the meat so we can eat it. I can't bear all these people alone. And if you're going to keep treating me like this, God, you might as well kill me. So this is the second time Moses didn't say it to kill him. And I'm convinced the Lord was like, you just wait. So we jump down to Numbers chapter 14. And it says, and the Lord spake unto Moses and unto Aaron, saying, how long shall I bear with this evil congregation which murmur against me? I've heard the murmurings of the children of Israel, which they murmur against me. Say unto them, as truly as I live, saith the Lord, as ye have spoken in my ears, so will I do to you. Your carcasses shall fall in this wilderness, and all that were numbered of you according to your whole number from 20 years old up, which murmured against me. Doubtless, you not going to make it into the land, which I swore unto you that you was going to dwell therein, except for Caleb and Joshua, because they're my boys. And then we jump down to 36, and it says, And the men which Moses sent to search the land, who returned and made all the congregation to murmur against him by bringing up slander upon the land, even those men that did bring up the evil report upon the land died by the plague before the Lord. They ain't even get to live out the rest of that 40 years in the wilderness. The Lord was like, plague, dead. Okay. So at this point in the story, this is when Moses said, we've been in the wilderness for about 40 days now. I'm going to send some scouts into the land to go see what we up against. The rest of the scouts come back and they're like, it's some giants over there. And we look like little grasshoppers in their eyes. And Joshua and Caleb like, nah, we could take them. It's straight. I mean, God already said he was going to give us the land. But everybody else in the whole rest of the congregation was like, we're not going over there to die. Right? And what's so interesting to me about this is that the Bible tells us that God's word cannot return unto him void. But we saw in, in verse 36, he said, God himself said, I swore that I was going to bring you into this land, but now, oh no, you're not making it out. So what would cause God to go against his own word that he spoke over you? Murmuring and complaining. Somebody said it, praise him. Murmuring and complaining. So all throughout Israel's plight, the entire time, what caused them to continue and to sin against God was complaining their complaint brought about unbelief and their unbelief caused them to sin against God the Bible gives descriptors like complain murmur slander and when the Bible said that they gave a bad report about the land 
he actually said, you didn't murmur against the land. God said, you murmured against me. You slandered the land. You put your mouth on what I had already said I was going to bless you with, what I had assigned you to. So I, I looked up the Greek definition because I wanted to understand, God, what's, what's so bad about murmuring and complaining? You know, because if I, in my heart of hearts, I don't be feeling like I'm complaining. I have taken Gulfport High's motto to heart. I am a problem solver, lifelong learner, and a productive member of society. But I didn't realize that that caused me to always look for problems. And even when you, you could be a problem solver without complaining. And that's what I start asking the Lord about. So I looked up the, the Greek definition of complain, and you can put that up there. And it's sayok, and it says to put forth thoughts, meditate upon, study, muse, ponder, speak. So when you're complaining, you're not just saying a couple of words. The Bible actually says you're studying that thing. You are meditating on it. And Pastor already taught us about meditating. You're meditating on the problems at this point. And then murmur, right? Look that up too. Loon says to lodge, to stop over, abide, to pass the night, remain, to dwell, grumble, complain, grudge, to be left. And so when we look at the scripture, God says, all these murmurings you brought against me, and he specifically said, all the words that you spoke, I'm now going to let you have. So in your murmuring, in your complaining, you said, oh, well, we might as well die here. God said, all right, I'm going to give you what you said. Because in your murmuring and your complaining, you're actually speaking into the atmosphere, either faith or fear. And he's saying, I want you to start speaking faith, but everything that you're saying about yourself, about the assignment that I've given to you, you're not quite speaking faith into it right now. And I believe that in this next season, especially going into 21 days of prayer, that God wants to partner with us. And you can't partner with God and work against God at the same time. So when I looked at these definitions, I started saying, no wonder. It's no wonder the first commandment that God gave to Joshua was to switch his meditation. He said, okay, instead of meditating on the problems like your leader did, I now want you to meditate on this book of the law day and night. I don't want you to have idle thoughts. I want you to be strong and courageous because it's scary. And Moses kept saying it was that he was weak or that it was too much for him. So it's going to take some strength. So I'd found myself in complaint, and I was like, Lord, how do I switch it? How do I see a problem 
and yet speak life into the problem instead of complaining about the problem. So I hop back to Joshua chapter 1, verse 6 through 8. And he tells Joshua to be strong and of a good courage because you're going to take these people and you're going to bring them into the land. He didn't say you might. He said you're going to. And anything that God has spoken to you is yes and amen. That means let it be so. It's already done. You may not know how you're going to get there, but God already said you're going to get there. It's not a question. So he tells them again, very next verse, be strong and courageous, okay, that you may observe to do all the law which my servant Moses commanded you to do. Don't turn from the right or to the left so that you can prosper wherever you go. Meditate on this book day and night that you can observe to do all the law so that you'll have good success and you'll be prosperous. And so when I start looking at these assignments that God had for us, I, I start looking at entrepreneurs on Facebook. And I start questioning it. And a lot of people ask all the time, like, oh, well, I don't, I don't know what God wants me to do next. Or I haven't figured out how to be successful yet. I haven't figured out. And it's interesting. The Bible separates success and finances. He said, I want you to be prosperous and I want you to be successful. Meaning, don't base your success on finances if that wasn't my assignment for you in that season. So you have to learn to redefine your situation and redefine, like they said on the podcast, what success looks like for you. So I started going through the scripture, and I was like, I got to start meditating on this word, and the Lord is also at the same time talking to me about joy. So I hopped to Psalms 16 and 11, and it says, God, you're going to show me the path of life. In your presence is fullness of joy. At thy right hand are pleasures forevermore. So where else do we see this? John chapter 15. Here go my favorite chapter, y'all. <laughs> Verse 7, and it says, If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you'll ask whatever you want, whatever you will, and it shall be done unto you. Herein is my Father glorified, that you bear much fruit. So shall you be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Continue in my love. And if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, even as I kept my Father's and abide in his. These things... Have I spoken unto you that my joy might remain in you and that your joy might be full? So Jesus is one of the only other examples, of course, that we can always use in Scripture of someone who partnered with God. And this was one of the commandments that was given to us. If I kept my Father's commandments, and if you do the same thing, I spoke all these things, 
just so that your joy would be full. There's never a point in time where God wanted us to lose our joy. He said, all, all this stuff, uh, abiding by the commandments, doing, doing what I told you to do, all this stuff was given to you so that your joy would be full. So what's joy? And I was so encouraged when I was heavily studying the scripture only to find it in my Strong's Concordance had I just looked there in the first place, right? So joy in the Greek is kara, right? Joy as a noun is kara, which means cheerfulness, calm delight, a cause of occasion, or gladness. But what encouraged me so much is that when we study scripture, joy is not just a noun. Joy is a verb. It's a verb because it stems out of what you do. And it says the verb means to be well or to thrive. And that so encouraged me because coming out of healthy habits, God was trying to tell me, Aisha, all this stuff that you're dealing with, all these habits that you have, are all rooted in the things that you do, which is joy. If your joy is lacking, then your, the rest of your habit is going to be lacking. If you lack joy, then you're not going to be well. You're not going to thrive. And that's hard for somebody like me because sometimes I feel like I got a resting mean face, okay? Okay. And I'm like, huh? I don't always feel like smiling. You know what I'm saying? Like, like, is joy smiling? Is it a state? How do I get there? And so when the scripture started talking about joy as a verb, and because English translations had a hard time translating it, they switched it to the word rejoice. So every time you see rejoice in scripture, it's actually joy. It's a verb. It's to joy, but it didn't translate well in, in American English, so of course they had to translate it. So joy isn't something that you stumble upon. It's not something that you find. It's rooted in your everyday actions and in what you do. So here's the catch. Even if you don't feel like you have something to be joyful about. I promise you do. God is so good and he's so faithful that there's always something that we can rejoice about. The, the old saints would say, all I need is a flashback of what God has done for me. And so I started saying, okay, God, if in your presence there is fullness of joy, how do I get in your presence? Because we could say that all day long, but it's like, is it a place? Do I go in, in my prayer closet? Do I need to make a prayer closet? Where is the presence of the Lord? Is it only when I come to church? 
Because for a lot of Christians, it is. There have been certain seasons of my life where it was. I go through life Monday through Saturday, and I can't wait to get in the house of the Lord on Sunday because when the praise team get up there and they hit the right note, oh, the, the Lord finna come in. You know what I'm saying? So there have been so many times in my life where I was dependent upon the praise of somebody else to get me into the presence of the Lord. So I started looking at scripture, Psalms chapter 100, verses 1 through 4. And it says, make a joyful noise unto the Lord. All ye lands, serve the Lord with gladness. Come before his presence with singing. Know ye that the Lord, he is God. It is he that made us, not us, his people and the sheep of his pasture. Enter into his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Be thankful unto him and bless his name. So I wanted to just stop here for a moment, especially as we're going into 21 days of prayer. Prayer is one of the most powerful tools in a Christian's tool belt. But prayer, without getting into the presence of the Lord, could be considered complaining. So how do we get into the presence of the Lord? Verse 4, enter into his gates with thanksgiving. You got to go in saying, Lord, I'm just so thankful. I'm thankful for today. And the good thing about these 21 days of prayer, and I encourage all of you to come out, is they're really easy topics, right? Every day is a name of God. And so one of the day, what's tomorrow? The Lord who sees, El Roi, is tomorrow. So if I'm going to come into prayer tomorrow and I'm going to be like, Lord, I just think, and all you got to do is start talking and he'll fill your mouth. Lord, I just thank you that you're the God that sees me. You're the God that knows me. And if you see me, you see this exact situation. I thank you that you see the beginning from the end, God. I thank you that you've already created a solution to the problem. So I'm not going to complain about it because you're the God that sees, right? Enter into his courts with praise. So after I thank him for who he is and what he's done and already having a solution, now I'm going to go into a little bit of praise, okay? And I'm going to say, God, you're so worthy. You're omnipotent, all-powerful. God, you, you see the end from the beginning. You're amazing. You have everything under control because you're God and I'm not. You're bigger than me. You're stronger than me. You got a whole host of angel armies up there. So I don't even have to worry about what's coming against me. And so we don't went in with Thanksgiving. Now praise. And it says just be thankful and bless his name. So I didn't, I didn't showed you real quick example of how to get into the presence of the Lord because I know, listen, it's not common knowledge. I mean, it's in the Bible, but it's a lot of Bible out there and you might just miss that scripture one day when you read it, you know? 
So I just wanna, wanted to give a practical example for those of you who may be struggling because prayer is not the same for everybody. It doesn't look the same in every season of your life. I struggled with prayer until I learned what type of intercessor I was. And I was like, no wonder. I make lists for every other area of my life and didn't think to make a list when I went into prayer. Soon as I start making some lists, I'm like, oh, I can pray for 30 minutes now. You know, I got a lot to pray about. But when I go down there on my knees and don't make no list, I'm taking a nap. I'm falling asleep. What? Can I be honest? Prayer is so different for everybody. Some people have to research before they can start praying. You know, some people, there, there's so many different types of intercessors. We took a test here once um, for those who were on the intercessory prayer team. And it might be time to go dig that mug up and, and bring it back out so you can figure out what your prayer type is. So you can learn how to better enter into the presence of the Lord and partner with him in prayer. Right? So the real joy comes when you start staying in his presence. And it doesn't mean you're on your knees 24 hours a day, seven days a week. We have to start practicing the presence of God, carrying him with us wherever we go, right? That's the beauty of the Holy Spirit is that he goes with us. We don't have to wait till we get home or go into a temple like they did back in the day. We have the benefit that the Holy Spirit, the helper, the comforter goes with us every day of our lives. And it, the Bible says he's free. You ain't got to pay for him. Jesus already paid for him on the cross. You don't have to work yourself to death to receive the Holy Spirit. And for anybody out there, the Holy Spirit is not always just speaking in tongues. Okay. Now, I love speaking in tongues. The Bible says when you don't know what to pray about, your spirit does. So you speak in tongues, it says you edify yourself. You build up your spirit, man, when you're speaking in tongues. You can speak in tongues under your breath in Walmart. Somebody gets to acting a fool at your job. You're speaking in little tongues. And whatever in them is either going to act up and you're going to have to speak against it or it's going to shut up. Right? So I love, love speaking in tongues. I, I do recommend it. Ten out of ten. Okay. But you have to just ask. If you don't know if you had the Holy Spirit, be like, Lord, am I saved? Did I, did I accept Jesus into my heart as Lord and Savior? Cool. Check. Lord, if I don't have the Holy Spirit, can you give them to me? Because we need the Holy Spirit to go in schools, in Walmart, everywhere, on the airplane. My mom. Definitely on the airplane. Children need the Holy Spirit. There's too much craziness going on in the world 
There are too many demons, and they don't just fight adults. Make sure that you are actively practicing the presence of God, okay? So in this next 21 days of prayer, we have to go into prayer knowing that our assignment is bigger than us. We have a tendency. I got a tendency. I'm going to just talk about me right now. I have a tendency. Sometimes when the Lord starts talking to me about assignments, it's like, well, God, how am I going to do that? But it's not about me. It's bigger than me. It's about the people that he wants to reach. It's about the people who are broken, who are bruised, who he said, I need to get to them. And if you're the only Christian going in that direction that day, if you're the only Christian that's going to be in the bank at the same time as that person, I need to know that I can use you to speak to them. Okay? So we have to start praying. Now, this is not 21 days of prayer and fasting. We still feasting. Okay? But you do have to fast. The Bible don't say if you fast. It says when. Okay? Fasting will help you build up your spiritual tools to be able to resist the enemy. It gives you more spiritual authority. It helps you to crucify your flesh. One of my spiritual mentors says when she fasts is when everybody starts getting on her nerves. But the benefit of that is the Lord is allowing you to see what's still in you. He said, if I'm going to use you, I need to show you what's in you so you can kill it so that you can be used by me. So here's the end of John chapter 15. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. You're my friends. If you do whatsoever, I command you. Henceforth, I no longer call you a servant, because a servant does not know what his master is doing. But I call you my friends. For all the things, while I'm sitting up here on the right hand of my father, every single thing that I hear him say about you, I'm going to make it known to you. And that's so beautiful to me. It's why it's my favorite chapter. When I was a child, before I even knew if the Lord would speak to me, I would go back to that scripture. I'm no longer a slave. I'm not a servant. I'm God's friend. And because I am his friend, I trust that every single thing that God says about me, if I stay in his presence, Jesus is going to put that thing in my spirit, and he's going to tell me what God says about me in this season of my life. And that's why it's so important to stay in the presence, because you don't want a stale word that God said about you two years ago to be directing your life right now. It's so easy to get caught up in the everyday of life. But we want to make sure that you stay current with God. You got to get out of comparison, which is a big one for me. Let me tell you, it's not Instagram. 
I'd be looking at some of y'all, and I'm like, I, I think I'm just a little too skinny. You know, in my generation, all the people, they want to be a little voluptuous. Praise them. <laughs> all the women say it's overrated. <laughs> but listen, when you go through school your whole life and people call you stick bugs and they tell you that you need to eat a little more or they ask you, do you eat? I'm like, listen, okay, I do eat. I promise I do. I don't exercise. It's just not working for me. I wish I could get a little some-some. A little and so sometimes <laughs> comparison absolutely will come in and it will steal your joy. So you have to go back into the presence of God and you have to go see what he said about you. Just like in Jeremiah, he said, before, as pastors say, your mama ever got with your daddy. And before both pa pairs of grandparents ever got together. I'd already known you. I formed you. And I'd already ordained you to be a prophet unto the nations. Now, everybody's not going to be a prophet, and it's not for the weak. Not that I am one. I just have friends who are, and it's not for the weak. Some people, they're just servants. They do what is needed. Some people, psalmists. I used to be at a place where I wished I had Jamie voice every day of my life. It's like when she, when she opened them lips. Heaven come in. You know what I'm saying? I don't even I don't even sound that good in my car with the music playing. I be trying. I be like, <laughs> no, it's not working for me. And there's so many things that we have the ability to compare ourselves with. And even joy. I got one person, they just be happy all the time. <laughs> and I was a little jealous of their joy. And it's so easy to get that way. When your spirit has become critical, when you're down on yourself, it's so easy to say, well, dang, why are they so happy all the time? It must be fake. They got to be going through some. They not going through nothing. Well, Lord, give me their life. And then when you start going through all the hell they going through, it'll change your mind. And it shows you that joy is rooted in your actions. It's not, it's not something that you're going to just be like, oh, I have joy today. That's happiness. You're happy because something happened. But God says, I want your joy to be full. I want you to be fulfilled. I want to partner with you. But realize that it's an honor and a privilege to partner with God. In the Bible, he said he can make a donkey talk. And if you don't do it, I'll make the rocks cry out in my name. God literally can use anybody else in this room 
So your gifts mean nothing when you stand before God. You say, I gifted a bunch of people, but I want to use you because I love you. Because there's only a people that you can reach. Because I've already set up the plans and ordained you to be in that moment in time with those people. So I just want to give y'all a couple of scriptures that you can chew on to help start building your joy. The first one is Philippians chapter 4, verse 8. And when I first started practicing this a couple years ago and I got out of the habit of it, it was one of my staple scriptures because I wanted to be more joyful. So Philippians 4 and 8, very common. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, honest, just, pure, lovely, are of a good report. If there is any virtue and if there be any praise, think on these things. And when I would practice that scripture, everything that came up in my day, I would choose what I meditated on. So if somebody made me mad at work and I wanted to call them all kinds of names, but what their God-given one was. I would test it by these scriptures. Is it true? Yeah. (laughs) Yes, it is. Because they did these things to hurt me. I was hurt by their actions. Yes, their actions, what they did, that is the truth. Is it honest? Yup. Is it just? I mean, if On the scale of 1 to 10, if we was going to put it before a judge, he would absolutely be on my side. It's a 10. Okay? Is it pure? I ain't sure, so I'm going to skip that one. (laughs) Is it lovely? Is it a, a loving thought about them? Is it... Is it loving towards them? Is it a lovely thought? Probably not, but I'm going to just go to the last one just in case. Is it a good report? Well, no. It was kind of negative. Well, dang. I guess I can't choose to stay stuck on that right now. So no matter what disagreements I had with people, what situations I went through, whether at home, at work, at school, I would have this scripture and memorize it. Not the King James Version because it was long. But I would memorize this scripture and I would go and I would take it and I'd say, okay, is it just, is it true? Is it honest? Is it lovely? Is it pure? Is it of a good report? And when you start doing that, you'll realize probably about 80% of your thoughts are negative, which means they're not coming from God. And we want to think on these things. Well, what does God say about the situation? Have you prayed for that person at your job? 
Have you asked the Lord what's going on with them or how you can intercede for them? I know they're getting on your nerves. And we don't want to just pray that they get saved just so they stop getting on your nerves. And then what do you do if, if they're a Christian or they call themselves one? Then you can't pray for them to get saved. Lord, let them get more saved. Let them, let them encounter you before they encounter these hands. So that ain't never been nobody prayer before. I got a couple hands. I got a couple amens. But when I'm troubled with the situation, if they're not saved, then I am going to pray for them to be saved. And their whole households, because I never know who God has for them to impact. And if that person called themselves a Christian, because I'm sure that there are times when I've offended other people, then I'm going to start praying for them. Everything that I want for myself, God, whatever's troubling them, whatever spirits might be attacking them, whatever is in their household, we speak against it now in the name of Jesus. I pray that you would go before them, you would go behind them, you would go round about them, that you would give them such a, a spirit of peace like never before. I pray that you would build them up in the nurture and in the admonition of the Lord. I pray that you would strengthen them if they're feeling weak. I pray that you would surround them with Christians who will speak life into them, that will speak validation into them, that will speak joy back into them. It's so easy to get caught up in the thoughts of the people around us. But when you do that, you lose your joy. Because it's still comparison. You're comparing them to you and the parts of life that you have figured out. You're saying, uh, well, if they did this like me, but everybody wasn't raised the same. If they just had a little bit more tact like I do, then we wouldn't even have these problems. We'll start praying for them. Pray that the Lord would heal them, that he would use them, that he would strengthen them. I remember telling the Lord one time that somebody's mental health problems wasn't my problem. And he took me to the scripture where it actually commands us to heal others. And I'm like, okay, if, if you want me to pray for them, if they leg hurting or something. And he was like, I never said what kind of healing. I just commanded you to go and heal people, to speak validation in them. So yeah, they might have they might have a couple issues, but I still want you to work with them. Especially in my generation, y'all, we cut off people so easy. Wasn't it wasn't it a song one time that said something about cutting folks off? It was like, you need to cut it. Cut it. Something like that. I was singing it too at one point until the Lord convicted me. And he was like, that song has become your reality. The first moment somebody do something, you be like, cut. And you dancing to the song. You need to cut it. You know? 
You walking around dancing to the song, cutting folks off. Abu, I didn't tell you to cut them off. You need them. All right, James 1, and I'm almost done. I just want to give you all these scriptures before Pastor comes up. James 1, chapter 2, I mean, James chapter 1, verse 2 through 4. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations. Right here, temptations actually means trials, okay? <laughs> it don't mean do what you want to do. It means it mean the enemy is actually fighting you. Knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience, but let patience have her perfect work, that you may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. And when I start reading the scripture at a time, I'm like, okay, God, that's applicable to the work that you have for me to do. You're telling me to be patient because if, if I'm not, then I'm not going to learn what I need to learn in this season to be ready for my next. Patience isn't a timeline. It's a test. And he's saying, have you passed the test? Have you developed the skill set that you need so that you can be perfect and entire wanting nothing? If you feel like you're missing something in this season, might be because you didn't let patience have her perfect work. Psalms 51 and 12. And 51 is one of our favorite chapters. Creating me a clean heart, O God. Renewing me a right spirit. But verse 12 says, Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation. I don't know about you, but I definitely need joy. I need it every day. And it makes it so much easier to get through your days when you do have joy. Okay. So I just want to pray very quickly as pastor is coming up. If you would, bow your head, close your eyes. I just want to see who I am praying for. I never want to take it for granted that there's someone who, if you closed your eyes today, if something were to happen when you left the building, you're not sure if you would go to heaven. If that's you, would you raise your hand? Thank you. I see you. Thank you, Lord. And if you found yourself not necessarily lacking joy, but maybe you are in a backslidden position where you think you might go to heaven because at one point or another you gave your life to God, but you're not 100% sure, would you raise your hand at this moment just so I can know who I'm praying for? Thank you. I see you. Thank you. Thank you. If you would repeat after me, and I need everybody to repeat after me so that we can help our brothers and sisters as they pray this prayer. Say, Father, I thank you. And I know that without Jesus, I'm lost. I pray today that you would forgive me 
and that you would cleanse me of all my sins. I pray that you would save me and that you would heal me in all of my broken parts. Father, I submit myself to you. I give you my life. And I thank you that in this moment, I am yours. In Jesus' name we do pray. Amen. And last, I want to I wanna pray really quickly for those who have been struggling in their joy. Maybe you found yourself critical. You found yourself possibly depressed. A little depressed. Maybe you don't feel depressed, but there are just a couple of times every now and then when it's hard to get up out the bed or you just sit in your car a little bit longer because life has been heavy with heads bowed and eyes closed if that's you would you raise your hand for me <laughs> 